Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Well, good morning, everyone. Please have a seat. We're finding our way in God's will. It has been my experience that finding your way in God's will is not too different than teaching a little toddler right how to, how to walk for the first time when parents uh, are teaching their children. They do every single thing they can possibly do to set this little child up for success. So they, right, they clear a path, right? There's, there's constant perpetual encouragement. Come on, come on, come on. And, there's, and you're there at the other end, just straight, come on, come to me, right? And then it just grows from there. I think that's what happens in our learning to hear God's voice. We start off young, and when we're young in the Lord, uh, I, it's been my experience anyway that he responds quickly and usually in ta- uh, tangible ways. You think, wow, this is great. Uh, but then he wants you to grow up, and, and it makes it more difficult to hear his voice. And, and there's waiting because he's trying to help you grow in your prayer life. He's helping you grow in stamina and perseverance. Uh, one great theologian said, faith is waiting. He just, that's, that's what it is. It's waiting on the promises of God. And sometimes he's building us in, uh, in that area that we need strength. Sometimes it's building us in the area of community. That happens as well. Now, it's very important that we learn how uh, to find our way in God's will because not, not in your spiritual chronology, but rather when you're younger in life, the decisions that you're making are honest. Most of the time, they're usually between two goods. You're choosing between two goods, and you're trying to maximize these two goods. And the thing you have to learn to live with is buyer's remorse, so you don't look back and say what could have been, what might have been. And, and you, so you just make your choices, and you choose from jobs. You choose a job, and you choose a place to live, and you choose a church, and then you just get in there, and you, you do it. You just make the choice and do the choice. As you get older in life, uh, life becomes more difficult and it becomes more complicated and you're, there are several choices where you're choosing between two evils now. As life gets complicated and um, harsh, you, you choose between two bad things and you have to learn to live with guilt. That's what it means to be mature sometimes is learning to live with guilt because you're choosing between two evils. And sometimes when people are making that transition to, oh, look, all these good choices, I'll just choose one to just nothing but bad choices, they're asking people advice. They're searching out the right answer, and there's not a right answer. And they're, com- they're confused, but that's how we express our, our image of God, being responsible. We have to make a choice that's not easy, and it's difficult to live with, and we want to know God's will for that. And we, you, so now you need to get ready now because those decisions are coming, and some, there, sometimes you make a decision, for example, between uh, maybe going into a very difficult uh, surgery that could make things a lot worse but could make things better, or to stay in a level of suffering that you're, it's unbearable. Yeah, you can, uh, again, two, and then living with the guilt. You can make a, a choice between staying in a job that provides security for your, your family, but, I mean, you're counting not hours, you're counting minutes. You hate the job, or what? You're going to punch out 47, 50 years old and start all over again. It's a lot of risk, and you're choosing between two very difficult ones, and you're going to have to learn to live with, with the guilt of that. You'll, there are times in our lives where we have to make choices for ourselves or other people, and it's just, there's just this razor's edge difference between prolonging life and prolonging death. Wouldn't it be nice to know God's will or at least have an ear for his voice before those decisions happen? Yeah. 
And so that's why we're spending these four weeks together and trying to find our way in God's will. And and today we're going to look at it's getting more personal as we're working our way through our six steps of knowing God's will. We're working from some uh, things that for uh, knowing God's will for all of God's children, and there's a lot of clarity in that. To we're moving towards what's God's will for my life, and it's going to cost us certainty. So again, it, it's God's will for everyone to live a courageous life. Sure, that we know that to be true, but how I live my personal life courageously is a more difficult thing to know. Uh, right with with clarity and with certainty. So that's where we're going. As we work our way down, it's going to become a little more uh, difficult to know uh, for sure. So before we get to those next two points, number three and four, I need to add another little catch. We add a catch every week. Here's the the catch in knowing God's will and living God's will. And it has to do with actually the way and the value that the church was founded uh, over 45 years ago, I think. And we say this, every believer is a minister. Now, the reason we say every believer is a minister here is because, well, because it's true. It's, it's true. The Bible confirms that it's true, and it turns out it works. It's true, and it works. And so one of the things we say regularly around here is, I'm just the pastor, but you're the, yeah, you're the minister. And so because that's God's design for us. It's God's design for us to be ministers. It's our, it's God, it's our human, the way we were originally, the, the template, the, what it means to be human is not to be self-consumed and self-centered, but rather to be turned out and to be enjoying other people, right, to be selfless, and then to be serving them. And so it's God's design that you would be the minister on your street, that you would be the minister in your place of work, that you'd be the minister on your team, go on and on and on. But the, but the point is, is that we were designed for ministry. It's God's will for us to be ministry. And if you're, again, if you're bent towards self and if you're looking for you know, ways to get, I, I gotta, I'm, I'll just tell you ahead of time, you can't know the will of God if you're selfishly consumed because the static of it all being about you, you can't hear God's voice through that. So there's this catch here that you have to, you have to kind of go along with what God's designed us to or you can't move forward. So if that's your problem, you kind of need to stop there and work. that's another conversation for another day, but it, it doesn't work unless you get past that. So again, for another day, this week we're going to look at is number three and four in our list of six. Again, more specific towards us, but we're going to look at uh, one, knowing yourself, and then two, wise counsel. Knowing yourself and wise counsel. In the context of knowing yourself, it's knowing the understanding how God made you and the experiences that you've in, in, encountered so that that becomes, you know, this unique thing that God designed. So in a sentence, God's will for you it's to be you. It's, it's always going to be who you were meant to be. It won't be someone, it won't be to be like someone else. It's not a mystery. You just be you. You do you. I want you, we'll look at a psalm that David wrote, Psalm 139, in just a second. Before we look at it, I want you to know what to look for. I want you to listen for how David is writing this psalm of praise, and, he's, and he won't be talking about how he made us. He'll be talking about how he made, like, me. He'll be, all the pronouns will be singular, not p- plural. And, and David, is, David is amazed at the details of God's involvement with his particular life. 
He's going to say, God, God was involved in the making of me and even the, the parts of making me. He, God knows about who I am, the depth of who I am. And he's going to say, I, he, he even knows every day of my life before it ever happened. Okay, with, with that in mind, look, look, let's look at the screen and see what David talk, sings about. He says, for, for uh, it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you. He knows him. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, the intricacies woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me. Okay. When no one had seen them, they yet to exist. You see how God's involved in the very details of of his life? You see how God's involved. So you are to know that. God is pleased with that. You are to learn and know that. Let me give you three ways. This is a very practical sermon, right? This is an application-driven sermon. Three ways to discover who you are, to find out who you are. The first step is to, to know yourself is discovery. By the way, this doesn't happen once. We just, we're going to keep doing these three <laughs> cycles several times in our life as we become more self-aware. But the first one is just discovery. where You're just taking inventory of uh, things about you. Uh, you want to start with the way that you were made, your design, right? Your natural talents and abilities. Look at that. Uh, then you, you want to look at your personality. God clearly loves, you know, you know, variety because there's so many different varieties. And so you want to, you, to be you, you need to see the personality that God's given you and the very, uh, the, the, little, the little details of that. And uh, your heart's desire is a thing that you need to investigate. What motivates you intrinsically to do something? Right? Some people love to work, for example, with people that are impoverished. Some people can't do that. Right? It's not that they wouldn't want to, but there's something inside of them that that's not what they spe- they're gifted with. That's not what they're in- motivated to do. So you look at those gifts and, and motivations and talents, and then you want to look at life experiences and spend some time here because life experiences are often a significant influence on what we've become. So you look at your family background. Right? You look at your educational background. You look at um, your vocational. What, what, what subjects did you like in school, for example? And then what things in business or in the marketplace did you feel like you, did, you excelled in? Look at your spiritual experiences. How did they happen? Where did they happen? Could be a clue. God's will for your life. Ministry experiences. In what ways have you touched other people and served other people that, that had an impact? And then finally, don't avoid this one because it could be the key, and that's experiences of pain and suffering. Because, because pain and suffering can teach us truths that no other source can. And sometimes uh, when we're making decisions about what, what God's will is for our life, we need to consider not, maybe, maybe not to avoid the things that hurt us so deeply, but rather, rather in some respects recover from those things and be a guide to lead people out of that very same swamp. Who better to do it than you, right? And, and then, and then the point, the, here's the thing. When you look at a gift, gifts, experiences, personality, the, the temperament, all those, those are all bundled up to give you a bullhorn, a clue to tell you what, how God made you so that you would be you in ministry. And, 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 and there's no reason to be shy 
or anything but proud about what God has done in your life. So if you're a leader, lead. If you love to serve, then serve. If you're a teacher, teach. If you're an administrator, administrate. Right? Figure these things out. And then you do those things. If you need help figuring them out, oddly enough, there's a class this summer called Gifted to Serve. You could join that class. They would work you through this. But these gifts and abilities, are, they're, they're to be used for God to bless. Listen, I know the, the biggest donor, the biggest financial giver at Grace Covenant Church for the last three years, the accounting department at our church. These ladies, they come in, they love serving the church, they love using their gifts and talents and abilities and vocational experience or educational experience, all that, and they come in and say, what can I do for God's kingdom? And they've saved us so much money, it's been more than anyone else has even contributed. So You see, don't limit God in the way he's going to work in your life. Find that, discover. First step is discovery. The second step is acceptance. <laughs> Accept the gift of God that is you. We're better at this with other. Oh, I accept that person as a gift of God. No, no, you turn that on. Accept the gift of God that is you. I'll never forget when I was in graduate school, I was taking a, a bank of counseling classes, and we had a visiting professor in. He had a number of years of experience. And so during a question and answer time, somebody said, what, what is the most common you know, malady that you're finding in your clients that if you could wave a wand, you'd stop? <laughs> Without... Just like that. Didn't have to stop and think. He said this. He said, contentment. Contentment not in life, but contentment in who they are. Most of my clients are in complete denial, and they, and they just don't want to be that person, and they figure out ways to manipulate you know, all the evidence that says otherwise, and, and, and they, so they're not dealing with the truth of it. Or, you know, right? Or they're, or they're not accepting it. And he used this analogy, and that's why it stuck with me for so long. He said, there's just so many Chevrolets out there that are trying to be Cadillacs. And that's not the way they were made. And here's the thing he said. He says, and they're never at peace, and they miss all of life because life now is striving to be a Cadillac when you're made a Chevrolet. He said, this is peace. This is peace. When you know that you're a Chevrolet, and you're doing, and you want to be the best Chevrolet you can be. That's emotional health, he said, psychological health. And, and that's not an easy thing, acceptance of the, of the way God made you and the, and the experiences that he's allowed you to have. Here's a perfect example of it. Uh, King David, you know David, right? The giant killer, the rock-throwing giant killer. We know that man, right? He becomes the king of, of, Jerusalem, or of Israel. He resides in Jerusalem. And when all the wars had finally settled down, he says this in 1 Chronicles 17. He says, I live in a palace of cedar while the ark of the Lord our God resides in a tent. And he says this to Nathan the prophet. And Nathan says, oh, I like the way you're thinking. That's, that's God's will. That is, nope. It was not God's will. It, it would make sense that it's time to build a tabernacle or a temple. It was not. It was somebody else's dream David was dreaming. Now, listen, I'm going to show you why David was not permitted to build this dream temple that he had in his mind. In second, or sorry, 1 Chronicles chapter 22, we pick up the story, and it says, Then David called for his son Solomon and charged him to build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, I, have planned to, I, had, I had planned to build a house 
uh, to the name of our Lord my God, but a word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed too much blood. You have shed, shed much blood and have waged uh, great wars. You shall not build a house in my name because you have shed so much blood in my sight on the earth. So, see, a son shall be born to you, and he shall be a man of peace, and I will give him peace from all the enemies on all sides around him. His name shall be peace. Solomon means peace. I mean, shalom, right? His name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days, and he shall build a house for me in my name. Okay, did you hear what just happened about to David? What, what a punch in the chest this must have been for him. He loves God, loves serving God, loves the mind of God, is a warrior king. Peace is broken out. He dreams of building a temple, not a tent, a temple. And, he, and he's going that way, and God says, no, 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 you can't do that. But why? Because he's a warrior. But why is he a warrior? Because God made him a warrior. And so God is stopping him from doing what he wants to do because God made him in a way that won't let him do it. And David cannot find peace with himself or with God until he sits down and realizes that he needs to accept who he is and who he's not. He needs to come to a reconciliation that peace will come when he realizes that this is somebody else's dream. And when that day happens, it might have been in an instant. We don't know how, you know, you know, how malleable, malleable his will was. But when that day happens, David's like, okay. If it's my son's dream, would it be okay if I built some warehouses and start getting things ready? And he did. He filled warehouses full of lumber and precious metals so that Solomon would have something to choose from. What about you? Right? What about you? George Bailey, you will never leave Bedford Falls. And the dreams of seeing the world are your brother's dreams. And the moment that you are settled with you being who I made you to be, George Bailey of Bedford Falls, then and on that day you will begin the first day of a wonderful life. You need to find out who you are, discover who you are. You need to accept who you are, and then you need to bloom where you're planted. It's this ministry. You find it's, it's about ministry. Every believer is a ministry. That's, that's true. It's true. It's found in the Bible. It's true because it works. We were designed, we were built, the original plans were that we would be faced out, we'd be enjoying right, each other's image of Godness, and that we would be serving. And so we take this thing, this, look, this is God's will for your life. This is it. This, it's just simple. It's maybe not hard. Maybe it's a little difficult to apply, but this is the simple answer. What is God's will for your life? It's the answer to this question, okay? How do you, particularly, right, how do you love God and your neighbor most effectively? How do you love God and love your neighbor most effectively? You find out who you are. You accept and enjoy that person. You don't lower the standards that God has for you to be holy and mature and complete. You don't raise God's standards to be higher than his are. If you're a Chevrolet, don't 
You know, don't try to be a Cadillac. And then, and then you do the good works in Jesus Christ that you arranged beforehand. You see your life as a ministry vehicle, right? To do God's will, to serve other people. That's how you know God's will. And so when you're making decisions about whatever it might be, details, you're asking yourself, how do I serve those people that God has put in my neighborhood, my workplace, and my teams, whatever it might be? That's the, that, it'll be the answer to that question because that's part of the design. There's a, there's a great story of Rab, Rabbi Zusha. I think I've told it a few times. Excuse me, but he was an 18th century uh, existential rabbi, and he had a following of people, and he was approaching his death, and as his disciples were surrounding his bed, he began to weep. He was in great sorrow, and, um, and they couldn't, couldn't make sense out of it because he lived such a, such a noble life. And so one of the disciples said, well, Rabbi Zusha, why, why are you weeping? Why are you in so much grief? And he said, I, it has just occurred to me just this moment when it's too late that when I, meet, when I meet God, he will not ask me, why was I not more like Moses? But God will say, Zusha, why were you not more like Zusha? He made Zusha in a beautiful way. And he tried to make him Moses. <laughs> See, each and every one of us, you, were created in the image of God. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You, every distinction in your life, in the way you're made, in, in the experiences you had, make you a very special, precious thing in the eyes of God. You need to believe that. You need to accept that. And the will of God is for you to take that and to, to serve. That's the will of God for you. That's know yourself. Point four in knowing God's will for your life is wise counsel. Wise counsel. Too often, there's too many stories of neglect of people not choosing to seek out wise counsel. Let me see if you can follow a theme in just a few verses out of one book called Proverbs. See if you can, there's a clue. I won't even give you a clue. Let's see what happens. Lack of guidance. For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but many advisors makes the victory sure. The way of the fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but a man with many advisors, they succeed. Listen to advice and accept instructions, and in the end, you will be wise. Make plans by seeking advice. If you wage a war, obtain guidance. Do you see it? I hope. But there's just... There are just so many devastating stories of people embarking and making life choices that are devastating to their families or their financial state, right, or their careers. And you, and you, you walk, how did you get here? And you keep walking back. Okay, you didn't ask for anyone's help in that? Why? Could, how does someone become that foolish? Here's what you get when you ask for wise counsel. Here's first and foremost, you get objectivity. You, you are not objective about you. <laughs> You're either too high or too low on that. And then, in addition to just lack of objectivity for yourself, you have like a twister. You have a storm. You have a hurricane of emotions and motivations and bents and circumstances that is making it very difficult for you to have objectivity. You go to someone else that's outside of that storm, right, and then you say, well, you know, I was thinking about, I don't know, I was thinking about changing schools. You know, North Texas has a better school of education. And I just thought, you know, I, I, I like Central Texas. Didn't it be great? Wait a minute. Doesn't your girlfriend go there? Oh, does she? 
you know what she does? Yeah. Just blew right through that storm, right? But I, listen, I can tell you about 40-year-old men where someone sat across the table from them and said, you are chasing a business card. This is about a title and an incremental raise. This job is not for you. This is not who you are. And you know what they did? They said, so? They wanted the title. They wanted the raise. They wanted the new business card because they weren't objective about themselves about what motivated them. The second thing you get when you seek outside wisdom is you get, well, uh, just uh, wisdom. You get other people's experiences, other people's mistakes. And this is not, by the way, living by committee where you just seek out other people and then you do what the 51% say. It is not cheating the system because we said earlier in our series, we said you still have to do it in order. You can't be seeking advice so that you don't be studied. You're not studying the Word of God. You're not pursuing an intimate prayer life with God, right? It's not that. It is this. It is is crawling up and standing on the shoulders of other people that have lived lives like you and getting a, a distant view of the consequences of your decision. Seek advice, wise counsel. Seek wise counsel. Here's how you get that. Or, you know, here's ways to get it, Okay. There's two types in, in many respects. There's, there's like spiritual wise counsel, and then there's just like experience wise counsel. And I'll tell you why you need to go for both. Spiritual wise counsel is peop- a lot of the decisions we make have spiritual consequences to them, to you and your family, maybe your children or the people that you work with. And so you need to pursue people that know God well. They know how to apply God's word. That's, that's a big thing. Apply God's word and you seek them out and you make decisions with their help. Where do you get those people? Church. One of the reasons the church exists. Our church was built on the foundation of mentoring. And so at this church, we have men and women who do career counseling and marriage counseling and parent counseling in all these forms. We have Sunday school classes and adult communities set up for that. That's where you go for that. It'd be a good thing to do. Now, so there's spiritual counseling over here, wise men who know the, the Word of God and know how to apply it. There's also just experiential counseling. And these are people that have figured out how to negotiate life, sometimes the hard way. And they know you well. They know you well. First time I was looking at God's will at a, in a big issue, I was told only one, only one matters, you know, only spiritual counseling. And they kind of uh, uh, negated just wise counsel, experiential counseling. And, and here's what happened. It changed my life because it was, and it, this was a huge decision for me. It was in my last year of college, and I was making a decision like any day about whether or not I would pursue law school or if I would go into seminary, which is graduate school of theology. And so I sat down with people to seek spiritual counsel, and they gave me some advice. And then I sat down with my parents. They know me well. They love me. And so I thought I'd seek their advice, not necessarily spiritually centered, so I, I wanted to get them before they uh, got to bed, which was uh, about 8.30 at night, you know. <laughs> Nine o'clock, they're, they're gone. Got to get them. Sat them both down, had great expectations of how it would work out. Did not work out that way. Just told them, uh, I said, hey, here's the thing. It's time for me to choose. And I'm thinking, I'm seriously thinking about going to seminary instead. And my mom just began to weep just cry and almost uncontrollably. And she said that it was a bad decision and that she thought she, that I would, was wasting my life. And I think 
uh, intrinsic, I think, inside she was a little embarrassed for me, you know, to choose that route. And in her defense, I'd been talking about going to law school since, like, junior high. There's a lot of lawyers in our family, and I thought I'd carry on the thing, right? Somebody she could be proud of. <laughs> so it, it, was, uh, it was such a, a difficult thing for her to hear. She couldn't stay, and so she went off uh, to another room. And my dad, now it was just my, my father and, my, and, and I, and he's a man of very few words. I, I think I remember everything he said. There's that few words. <laughs> very quiet, long pause. I'm staring at him. I made his wife cry. And then, he, and then he says, he said, Matt, if you don't go to seminary, you'll be looking back over your shoulder for the rest of your life. And I was not expecting that. Not from him. And that one sentence was not spiritual wisdom. It was, it was you don't want to live with regret wisdom. And that one sentence... The hardest three and a half years of my academic career was that graduate school theology. Everything they did in that school was everything I can't do. And for three and a half years, all I heard was my dad saying, if you don't get through that seminary, you'll be looking back over your shoulder for the rest of your life. Seek wisdom. You seek wisdom. Spiritual wisdom and just generic experiential wisdom. Here's how to get it. Five things you have to do to get godly wisdom, okay? One, you have to be honest with your bent. I'm going to try to be fast here. You sit down with someone that maybe hopefully knows you well, and you just say, okay, here's my bent. And bent means that you were designed to drive straight or ride straight, but something went wrong, uh, and, and now you're... This is what has constantly pulled you into oncoming traffic most of your whole life. And you hopefully by now you know that, right? So you're a people pleaser, and I always want to be one of the cool kids, and I keep making decisions, and it keeps getting me in trouble that way, right? I'm a lazy person, and I always default to whatever's easiest. I'm a greedy person, and whatever has the most money, that's what I choose. Tell them you're bent. They've got to know what to compensate for. Second, you know, uh, be honest with your fear, be honest with your bent. Be honest with your fear. Most of us make decisions based on fear, and sometimes they're related to the bent. I'm a people pleaser, and I'm afraid to be alone, right? And, and so you tell them that because, because there's this, right, there's this riptide that cuts us up underneath, right, and just swoops us out to sea. If we don't know what those are, the tide that's pulling us is affecting our decision-making. Tell the person of wise counsel, I'm going to be honest with my bent. I'm going to be honest with my fears. These are the things that are really motivating me. Three, you tell them, this, the theme here is truth. Tell them the whole truth. Tell them the whole truth. So many times we tell a story of our life when we're seeking advice and we leave out very important information that's usually shameful. And when a person gives advice and they find out later this other thing was going on, they go, well, if you'd have told me that, I'd have given you a different set of advice. Trust them or don't seek advice from them. Okay? And then the next one, to ask for the whole truth. Okay? Tell them the whole truth. Ask for the whole truth. When people give advice, here's what's happening most of the time. When people give advice, they give you about 80% of what they want to tell you. Because the last 20%, 10, 20%, it could, it's going to be very difficult to hear and might even end the relationship. And they won't go there, but if you ask them, they will. 
So you, they, you're asking for your rights. You're tell, this is a big, honest conversation, and you say, what are you not telling me? Is it, is it 10%? Is it, okay, is it 20%? Okay, why don't you give me five, and we'll just work our way. I'll tell you when to stop, right? But tell me this part you're not telling me. Tell me everything I need to hear. This is an important thing in my, I want to be in God's will. Then last, listen. If you've gone through these four steps of, of honesty and like full-blown truth in the face, it's going to be easy to say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to hear this. The qu- point is, if change. You must be willing to change. That's how you get godly wisdom. You've, you lean into the truth and let it punch you but you come out a better, you know, able to do God's will for that. Let me just review real quick. We're at four points out of six. First point is simple. We go to God's word for first. It's clearest, absolutely. This is God's will for your life, but it's kind of vague, and so we get a little bit more detail when we pray Scripture because now we're trying to get into the mind of God. What would Jesus do? I don't know, but if I know how he thinks, I'll kind of know what he'd do, and so I, I can know that too. Today we looked at Know Yourself. That means discovering, that means accepting God's gift that's you, and then right, finding that place in ministry. And then, we, and then we looked at seeking wise counsel. So just in that, in that review, I want to review something else. Okay, we're going to go back and forth here. I want to review the catch. There's a catch to knowing God's will, and it's this. If, if, if you're selfishly ambitious, if you're self-promoting, it's, if, it's, if life is about you being comfortable, then you won't know God's will. And you fear this attribute of God, okay, his politeness. Because when we say to him, thy will be done, he obliges. And when we say, no, my will be done, he obliges that too. He will leave you alone. And in that loneliness, you will not know the will of God, and you will not be at peace. I say that as a warning over here because I want to really end with this. Now, if you've been tuned out, come on back, okay? Because this is is the good stuff, okay? Everything else has been leading up to this. I don't know what made that other stuff up on the way here. This is the good stuff. (laughs) If you are tenderhearted towards God, You appreciate and understand that you are made in his image, and that means that you are to be co-ruling, and you're going to make intelligent decisions that are going to put you in a place that's going to serve God the most, right? That you you understand that, that you're you're out to figure out a way to be able to be more generous, to be able to have more servitude, that you're, you're looking for eternity. If that's the way you live, if that's your heart, now listen, what have we learned about God in this series, that he is sovereign and that he loves you. And so if this, is, if this second person is, is you, then you need to relax and trust in this. What is trust? Faith. What is faith in? Believing these things about God. And know this about God, that he's in control, friends. He is powerful and he has a plan and he loves you. And if you get too tied up in a knot, if you're, if you're trying to serve him and desire to do his will, right, and you're submissive and you're turning out, and you're still twisted up with anxiety, it's because you're not trusting in the bigness of God. See what you're doing? You're saying he's not big enough to undo my, my decisions. Friends, all he has to work with is us. 
I know it's pitiful, but he chose that. He chose that. And so he's, 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 he's a good, good father. And so let me put it this way. In the game of life, okay, all we ever get dealt are these little low cards, right? We play a four or five about where we got to go to school or something. Oh, I played a big 10. Look at my 10, seminary or, or law school. And he has all the face cards, friends, right? He, he directs the wills of kings, and he loves me. And so you, you do due diligence and seeking God's will, and then you have fun watching. This is how you enjoy the power of God's providence. Let's see what you're going to do with this. You, I see faces out there, and all you have, right, is a series of broken eggs. I'm saying, let him cook, friends. Let him cook. See the omelet he can make out of what's left. He is strong he has a plan, and he loves you. That's the best part of knowing God's will, is the security I find in him, not in me. And we'll pray to that end, okay? Lord Jesus, I think there's people here that they've got to get off the dime about living life for them. They're the center of their own solar system, and and I'd ask, Lord, that you would convict uh, people of that and that they would repent of that and say, this is dumb. It's not working. It's, it's not even true. And I ask that they would, they would desire to change and put you in the throne of their life to guide and direct it. You are king, and they want to bow their knees to your kingship. So, and then, Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, I'd ask that you would help us trust in your, these things that we know about and we read about, but we don't live about, and that is that you're powerful and you love us. And then we need to rest in how we were made and what we've experienced so that we might turn out from our injuries sometimes and serve other people, that we would see ourselves as a peaceful George Bailey that lives a wonderful life, the life that you made for us. We will not choose to pursue other people's dreams, but the dream that you have for us, we'll find peace there and we'll give you glory. We'll ask, you'll ask someone day, why weren't you more like you? And we'll say we were as much as we could be of who you meant us to be. We pray for that end, right? In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.